Living with Diabetes, a podcast from Diabetes Victoria with Jack Fitzpatrick. Hello, one and all. Thanks for tuning in to the official Diabetes Victoria podcast. This is a great forum for those of us impacted by diabetes, whether it be directly or indirectly, to discuss ideas, share stories and build our diabetes community. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, ex-Melbourne and Hawthorne AFL player and current Diabetes Victoria ambassador. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the Kulin Nations where we are speaking from today, as well as all the lands across Australia, and pay my respects to all elders past and present and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening in. This is a special World Diabetes Day podcast, which of course is a special day for all of us impacted by diabetes. And I'm joined by a very special guest who does need no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway, Professor Peter Coleman from the Department of Diabetes and Endocrinology at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. He's a board member of Diabetes Victoria, and in 2017, he was appointed a Companion of the Order of Australia, known as an AC, which is a highest, Australia's highest civilian honour. And Peter, I believe there's a little bit of a story that there were two Peter Coleman's given an AC on the same day. Is that right? Yes, that's right, Jack. And th- thanks for very much for having me. Yes, well, Peter Coleman at the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute's an expert in um, flu vaccines and that sort of thing. And um, Peter Coleman at Royal Melbourne, myself, has uh, been a diabetes person uh, going back a long way. It's amazing, two Peter Coleman's, both uh, in the science field at least, and uh, both receiving an AC on the same day. Long odds that one happening, but uh, World Diabetes Day, it's a special day for all of us impacted by diabetes. And of course, it's uh, Sir Frederick Banting's birthday, known as the discoverer of the medical potential of insulin. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Peter. Yeah, that's right. In um, in 1921 um, is when the discovery of insulin was made, and actually the first patient was um, treated in Toronto and not long after in Australia. It's a very special day, of course, November 14th, as we said, Sir Frederick Banting. And uh, what was that sort of timeline? It is 100 years ago. I mean, it's scary to believe that 100 years for some seems like a long time, but in terms of history, 100 years isn't a lot at all. And I mean, I, I always say to people that if I was born 100 years earlier and was diagnosed with diabetes at the age of uh, 21, as I was, um, I would not be around today. It's it's amazing to think it was only a hundred years ago that it was first discovered in a, in a medical setting. Yes, and and prior to insulin being available, um, life was was pretty short for people diagnosed with type one diabetes. Jack, um, they really were treated with with starvation diets, and it was and and they were underweight and and died of all sorts of, of, of nasty problems. But the the advent of insulin was really a, a, a miracle. You'd have to describe it as a miracle. Oh, it's the only way I can describe it, and I'm obviously very thankful for it. You said that the the timeline or the life expectancy of people diagnosed with diabetes at, at that time was very short. Do you know roughly how long people were expected to live once they were diagnosed? Was it, a se- was it essentially a death sentence? Uh, pretty much. People struggled on for, for a few months or, or even a year or two, but... Um, Basically, without without insulin, um, they just couldn't couldn't have any sort of a meaningful uh, life at all. Incredible to think, and I believe Phyllis Adams was the first Australian to be uh, injected with insulin in 1923. Is that right? It's an amazing story. Yeah, it, it, um, it, so that was in 1922. The insulin actually came out on a, a, a ship from Canada, and um, and she 
she started using insulin at that stage. I, I think she was six at that at that age, and um, she actually I met her, believe it or not, because <laughs> she survived till nineteen ninety eight, and uh, it, it was amazing. She was an amazing lady, and uh, you know, a, a true, well, uh, a, a greatest advertisement for, for insulin treatment. That's for sure. How old did you say she was when she was uh, given the injection? I think she was six. Six. Okay, so she's six in 1922 and then lived until 1998. That's remarkable. I mean, obviously without, you know, Sir Frederick Banting and, and his discovery, she wouldn't have, you know, seen it past 1925 at, at the very best. Uh, and she ended up living to almost the new millennium. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and as I say, uh, I met her a few times and she was, uh, she was actually um, a great character. I, I have no doubt. I have absolutely no doubt about that. In that time, since Sir Frederick Branting and, and you know his amazing discovery, there's been so many breakthroughs and discoveries in the world of diabetes. And I think of Phyllis and you know what she would have, what it would have meant for her when she was first diagnosed, and and how she would have lived with it with the injections, and then the innovations, the technologies over you know the hundred years since. Talk us through those breakthroughs and discoveries and what life might have been like 60, 70 years ago as opposed to now and, and the comparisons. Yes, well, it, it has been a real uh, real saga, actually, uh, Jack. And I guess when, when the, that, that first lot of insulin was, uh, was a bit like a, uh, a, a chicken soup in a way, so it it's, uh, was, was purified out of cow's pancreas and it was, was a big volume given with a, a, a very big needle and um, and it was also what we now know as a short-acting insulin, so it didn't last for that long. So really for the first 20 or so years after uh, insulin was discovered, it, 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 it was a break until a, a longer-acting insulin was made called protamine zinc insulin. That was in the late um, 1930s, 1937. And then through the 50s and 60s, other long-acting insulins were developed, but these were still insulins that were made by uh, from purified cow and pig pancreas. You know, a massive um, effort to purify out of out of um, all these animals. And it, it wasn't until a whole lot later that human insulin actually arrived. So, really, through those the first forty years or so, um, the insulins were were pretty basic. They weren't very pure. A lot of people had had problems with with allergy to them and skin problems and stuff. So although the people were surviving, there was still a lot to be done. And I guess, Jack, the other thing that we need to remember about that time is um, how, how did people actually work out what what their uh, sugar levels were in the blood? And, and the answer is that there were these uh, very um, basic and, and, and nasty tests which people had to do of their urine, boiling up the urine, a thing called Benedict's test through the 1930s and then in the 50s and 60s um, people, there, there were some particular strips for testing the urine so people could tell uh, what their what their levels were approximated to but again this was uh, not, a, not a great um, measurement to be honest with the urine testing. That is it is crazy to think, I mean recently you know I've tried a CGM for the first time, I've previously been in you know doing the finger prick and sort of finger pricks were the, you know, what I saw people, you know, as a child growing up and, um, you know, the finger prick only takes, you know, a, a number of seconds, probably a minute by the time you sort of organise it and put it in and, and throw the rubbish away. I mean, the CGM, you get your your results instantly. Um, 
it's, it's impossible for someone like myself to fathom how long it would have taken, the process it would have taken to just monitor what your sugars were between needing to urinate and then test it, et cetera. I, it is honestly near impossible to think. Yeah, and look, I, when I started uh, looking after people with diabetes in the early 1980s, Jack, um, urine testing was really still a state of the art. Blood testing was just coming in then. And urine testing was really difficult because, um, in fact, you know, when the past urine, it gives you a story of what the blood sugar is then, but by the time the urine comes out of the body, that's past history. And so it was people were, got into all sorts of problems with low low blood sugars and, and really it was, was far from, from satisfactory. And the, the advent of, of blood testing, as I say, in the, the late 70s, early 80s was, was another remarkable um, step forward actually for management of diabetes. No doubt. And not only that, but also giving yourself the insulin. I mean, people had to do things like boil syringes and, and things like that in, in the early days. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And 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 I look after and I'll help help people with diabetes who've had it for sixty years plus, actually, Jack. And um, they they still tell tell me stories about how, about uh, glass syringes and and sharpening the the uh, needles and um, and again problems with the with with the insulin because it it, it uh, as I was saying before, it wasn't till the um, the late nineteen eighties that human insulin you know made from biotechnology actually appeared on the scene. So again, that would have to be described as another miracle in the the, um, the insulin story. But yes, the, the early days were, were um, I think, pretty tough for people and people like Phyllis and, and the other folks who, who, um, who I know pretty well um, really uh, have done incredibly well to get through to, to the stage now, as you, as you refer to, with, with insulin pumps and continuous monitors and the, the developments that have happened. We, we talk about, you know, you said you started in the 80s and, and it was sort of the transformation, I guess, from urine to blood testing and all those kinds of things and almost mirroring technology in, in life, regardless of whether it be computers, phones, you name it. You know, they say there's more computer power in the modern day iPhone than there was that the whole of NASA had when they sent man to the moon. Um, we've seen so many things over the last 20, 30, 40 years. We've gone from that urine testing to blood testing. We've since seen... Uh, CGMs, we've seen insulin pumps, we've seen all of these kinds of amazing technologies that seem to be improving almost year on year and, and sometimes quicker. Um, the elephant in the room, I guess, that everyone is asking, we've come a, such a long way in terms of the technology, in terms of our research, in terms of what we know with diabetes, but what about a cure? Um, what, why don't we have one yet and, and how far is it away? Is it impossible to answer the question? No, it's it's not impossible to answer the question at all. So I guess that when we talk about a cure of, um, and, we, and and let's let's um, be sure we're really talking about type one diabetes initially. So we know a lot more about the cause of type one diabetes than we did back in the nineteen uh, twenties when insulin appeared. So we know we know that the immune system actually is responsible for type one diabetes. That the that the cells in the pancreas that make insulin uh, seem to be a target of the immune system. So, and we can actually detect that sort of immune process before diabetes even develops in people. And um, so it gives us an opportunity to, to interfere with that immune system and potentially prevent type, prevent type 1 diabetes. So there's a whole lot of work going in that field, 
Jack. So just imagine if we could uh, we could do a, a test on somebody, identify them that they are at risk of getting type one diabetes, and then give them a treatment to prevent that. And we're really quite a long way down the track doing that. For instance, there's a trial called Bandit that's going on in Melbourne at the moment that's using a particular type of medicine to try and um, to give people with type 1 diabetes at the time they're diagnosed to see if we can prevent further damage to their pancreas. And we also are on the brink of actually starting to, to do tests on, the, on people in the general population to identify people with this sort of risk. So that is moving ahead. So that would be prevention. Now, what about for people who've had uh, diabetes for a longer period? So I guess the Holy Grail has always been cellular transplant, um, Jack, so giving back people the cells that make insulin. And that's also in progress. So we know in, in Melbourne and in Sydney there are uh, programs to actually give the islets, they're the cells in the pancreas that make insulin back to people. Unfortunately, that there's still this problem of the immune system rejecting these sorts of transplants. And this is re- really where the, the, the big developments have got to come. So we, we've got to be able to, to grow these islets outside of the body and then give them to people without the immune system attacking them again. That's where that whole field's at. I, Jack, I, I do believe there's going to be a cure, but um, I'm not going to be the one to put a time on it because, uh, I don't know, when you got diabetes, a lot of people were told that there'd be a cure in 10 years and 20 years later they're still saying, well, where is it? So I think we've got to be a bit careful of putting times on it, but you know, the progress is really it, it, it is speeding up and I, I, I think we can all be hopeful that we're headed for really um, the sort of thing that people with diabetes want. No, I'm I'm absolutely very hopeful, and uh, fingers are crossed. And it does sound great that there are there are step progress being made. And you hear about things from artificial pancreases, etc., and all these kinds of things. But I suppose it's another wormhole itself. Um, the work Diabetes Victoria does as a committed supporter of diabetes research. Uh, we talk about the DARP awards. Um, it, it shouldn't be underestimated either. Yes, diabetes research. It, it's incredibly important that that. Um, diabetes research is supported, Jack, and, and Diabetes Victoria play a, a major role in that, actually, um, as part of the DARP project. And, and um, there's also been recently um, the um, Tricia Dunning Research Awards that have been given to nursing graduates who are also looking at, at important areas of diabetes research. And those, um, I think you may be aware, Jack, that Tricia um, died recently, tragically, and I know you, you've... Uh, You've talked with her, but uh, this this year, actually, um, on World Diabetes Day, these awards are going to be announced, and it's going to be a great um, tribute to, to Trish and the fantastic work that she has done for her whole career in diabetes. Uh, I'm glad you brought Trisha up. I mean, it's obviously horrible news over the last couple of weeks of the passing of Trisha, and there is the Trisha Dunning Research Scholarship, and I think it speaks volumes of, of Trisha that... I only spoke to her not long ago. You know, you're talking probably the last month, maybe six weeks ago, um, and was aware that she was unwell. Um, but I, I probably underestimated how unwell Trisha was. Um, but I think it speaks volumes of her is the fact that she was clearly so sick at the time that she spoke to me. But her life dedication, her willingness to be working with people with diabetes, to help out people with diabetes that, you know, almost quite literally up until her last days, she was still putting these people ahead of herself and her well-being and, I think that just sums her up amazingly. And yeah, you're right that the recipients of the Trisha Dunning Research Scholarship being announced this World Diabetes Day is, is going to be an amazing 
uh, honour and, and tribute, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we. Uh, I mean, I've been working with Trisha for for really most of my my career in diabetes, and yeah, she's been made amazing contributions, and uh, will be very uh, sorely missed. She certainly uh, was an amazing, an amazing woman, and her impact will will continue to be felt uh, probably forever, particularly with this scholarship. Now, I could talk to you all day and ask you a million questions about what you spoke before about potential discoveries, potential cures, how long it will be. I, uh, you know, I could tr- try and force an answer out of you as a guest, whether it's five years or fifty years or, or whatever. Um, I do know that you're a very busy man and, and there's a lot in your time. But before I do wrap up, you spoke about your career in diabetes as well. You started working with people in the 80s. I mean, what was it about diabetes that really like, that made you want to be so passionate about working in the field and, and all the work that you've done in it? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question, Jack. Uh, and I think I got into diabetes because um, actually around the time that I was looking at it, um, the Insulin became U100, 100 units per mil. Previously, it had been 40 or 80 units per mil. They were all different sort of strengths of insulin. But a lot of people got quite sick, and I, 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 at my period in training, was looking after those people, and I really got very interested in 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 managing and and helping people with diabetes. And then, and then, I got very interested in this. Immune side of it, and the the fact that we that there was this prospect that we might be able to actually prevent it. And um, I guess my my whole career has been sort of working, uh, you know, working with people with diabetes, but also this hope that um, we might be able to actually prevent it at some stage. So it's it's really been a, a great journey, and I, I've really uh, got a huge amount out of it, and I hope to put a fair bit into it too. And I and um, I've still, still got a bit to go, actually, Jack, I hope. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping to be around when we do prevent <laughs> type 1 diabetes, actually. Well, if we do, I'll, I'll certainly uh, buy you a beer, that's for sure. Uh, I, I certainly look forward to that. But I just, you know, I thought it would be remiss of me not to discuss and say thank you and, and appreciate, you know, the work that you have done and continue to do. And as you just pointed out, you will continue to do in uh, in the field of diabetes. Um as I said, World Diabetes Day, it's such an important day. The, the birthday of Sir Frederick Banting, who is credited with the discovery of the medical potential of insulin. I mean, it's, it was only 100 years ago. It's such a short time. Before I do let you go, Peter, there's no chance I can get a rough estimate in, in terms of a time frame for a cure. You're not going to let that one slip out? No, it's got a few things need to, to really fall into place for, the, for this cell transplant thing to work. And, um, and I think I... I I know it's going to work, but, I, but it, it's just impossible to put a time on that. The prevention, I reckon the prevention is really moving fast and uh, we just need, again, a few few major steps in that. But as I said, Jack, I, I, I think the face of diabetes is, is going to change a lot in the relatively near future. That's the best I can do, Jack. I mean, I, no, I, no doubt who, who, would have predicted, who, who would have predicted that Melbourne would win a premiership, right? So... No, it could happen. Could happen very soon. No, it's a very, very good point. I mean, it's funny to think, or not funny, but you know, I was only diagnosed ten years ago. It doesn't feel like that long. And you know, you talk about when you started in the eighties, and and the thing you were still, you know, using urine as a way to test sugars, etc. And and where we're at now, it, I just try and think in the equivalent amount of time. You know, another ten years for myself, but in you know, thirty or forty years, what we'll be talking about of. You know, how quickly have we found a cure? All those kinds of things. I, I mean, it 
it's fascinating to me. And, and you know, I just one, once again wanted to thank you for the work that you do and are doing, have done and will continue to do, but also Diabetes Victoria and now, you know, these new Trisha Dunning Research Scholarships, as I said, I think it's a tremendous tribute to someone who was a truly amazing person. Yeah, well, thank thank you, Jack, and good good on you for, for all the work you do for, as a, an ambassador for Diabetes Victoria too. Oh, thank you very much, Peter. Thank you. It's uh, much easier uh, talking about it than it is doing all the hard work like yourself. But no, thank you, Peter. As I said once again, you don't get a uh, companion uh, the, of the Order of Australia. You don't get an AC handed out in a Wheaties box, that's for sure, mate. So uh, no, thank you for everything you've done, and thank you so much for speaking to me on the Diabetes Victoria podcast. Yep, great pleasure, Jack. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the program. If you'd like to contact us, it's very easy. Simply send an email to podcast at diabetesvic.org.au. Or, of course, all the information you'll need is on the website, diabetesvic.org.au.